Good job. Thank you, Angela. And uh, Angela tore that up. And Josh tore So, uh, <laughs> y'all know when something happens, it's funny. Everybody looks at the sound guy. He's like, I didn't do nothing. So, y'all find 1 Corinthians in uh, chapter 5. We, we come to uh, very, you know, it could be a difficult passage or it depends on how you want to take it. But uh, I can promise you, Joel Osteen, you'll never hear Joel or T.D. Jakes, or anybody like that, or Benny Hinn, they won't be preaching out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Y'all all right? Some of you have been reading Ed, and uh, Paul is dealing with this church that had a lot of problems in it, and so uh, I, I can promise you, <laughs> most Baptists probably don't know this chapter's in the Bible, <laughs> and some of the preachers don't know it's in the Bible, because they just, they don't preach expositorily, and here at Woodlake, we're going through the scripture, so this is where we landed today. You all right? So I'm not picking on you. But uh, at the same time, I, I, there's some words in here that many of you need to hear today. It's going to free you up, I promise you. Uh, there's some good things here for those of us who are struggling with folks in our lives. You all all right? And if you don't have, I mean, anybody got any black sheep in your family? You all all right? So you know, anybody got a problem, child? So Okay. All right. So we, we know now, uh, Mike's going to put up our outline. Here's where we've been contextually. The first four chapters were so important that Paul spent four chapters on talking about divisions in the church. And so we went through every bit of that. Now we're going to change gears today. Here's the second major thing <clears throat> that Paul is going to deal with is immorality. Now the first part was about divisions, and now we're going to deal with defilements. So Paul addressed all the fights and divisions and uh, preacher worship and all those kinds of things that were going on in the church. So now after that, he now we're going to move, we're going to change gears. He's not going to be talking about uh, the mind or wisdom or philosophy or intellect. Paul is now going to deal with the body. And he's going to deal with sexual immorality and, and all different types of things. Then we're going to go into food offered to idols. He's going to deal with the worship service itself and what happens there. And then chapter 15 is just off the chain. Uh, it is, I preach messages. I got about 10 messages in chapter 15. We call it the theology of the resurrection. And then the final greeting is 16. But here's where we are in this little section right here. Now, if you'll notice with me, uh, we're going we're gonna to move into a different little section here. And Paul's going to, to talk about sexual immorality and what was going on in the church and how the church is supposed to deal with people who are flaunting their sin. So, verse number 1. It's widely reported. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's widely reported that there's sexual immorality among you and that kind of sexual immorality that's not even tolerated or spoken of among the Gentiles. A man is living with his father's wife. And you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that those who have committed this act might be removed from your congregation. For though I'm absent in body, but I'm present with you in spirit, I've already decided about the one who has done these things as though I were there. And when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus with his spirit, uh, in other words, what Paul is saying is, 
I'm dealing with the context. The context is the church. You hear me? This is our house. So Paul says, And with the power of the Lord present, turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that henna, Greek word henna, I've taught you when you see the word so that, it's a conjunction in the Greek which means purpose. This is why you do what Paul just said, which should have shocked you just a little bit when you heard that Paul says, they don't repent, turn them over to Satan. So that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch. You're indeed unleavened for Christ our Passover. What a great statement. Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old yeast or with the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and in truth. And I wrote to you in a letter not to associate. Now, you should have caught that. I've been telling you about the previous letter. Paul says, I wrote to you in a letter. So there's a previous letter that was written before 1 Corinthians, and it's called the previous letter. So Paul says, I wrote to you about this. There wasn't repentance. And so I had to write 1 Corinthians, and then there's going to be a severe letter and 2 Corinthians. And so he says, I did not mean to... Uh, He says, so that you do not associate with immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. Context, do you hear me? We're talking about believers inside the church. Those who are sexually immoral or greedy, idolaters, verbally abusive, a drunk, a swindler, do not even eat with such a person. So if you're wondering if Christians can sin, there's, there's your answer. You okay? That believers, he's talking about believers who do these things. For Paul says very clearly, what business is it of mine to judge those who are outside? Don't you judge those who are inside But God judges outsiders, so put away the evil person from among yourselves. We're talking about amputation from the body of Christ. Amen? Now, I've even known that there were churches that had to recall an ordination. They made public statements about it. My church at home that I grew up in had to do this. We had a minister of music that fell morally and was doing something very similar. It was blatant. It was out in the open. And because of that, my pastor got up in the pulpit and said, we're renouncing his ordination. It's just something that has to be done. And so uh, this chapter represents Paul's comments to the church because of the lack of concern of the people in the church because of this open sin that was taking place. There was open rebellion and open sin, and there was complacency. There was a lack of discipline. This is a perfect description of the the New Testament church today. We have come to a place where we're tolerant of everything. Parachurch organizations, entertainment, education, business, government, sports, 
and a plethora of other institutions have come to the place where people cannot even stay. If you're a Christian and you work in uh, the news business, you can't even mention something that is going on that's immoral today. We have people who are claiming now not to be pedophiles, but maps. They're minor attracted people. We're just changing the name of the sin. And so they do that, and, and then if you mention something like that, and you're making millions of dollars a year to read a teleprompter, you will lose your job. And so there's a control issue that's going on here. And Paul says, listen, we're the church of Jesus Christ. And this is why a pastor has to lead the church, because I'm not emboldened to anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I come here, I'm being uh, paid by the Lord. God provides for me, but it is through the body of Christ that you supply those funds. Therefore, I have the ability to stand. And I recognize where many of you are that at work these days, you have to just live with some of this stuff because you'll lose your job and you have to take care of your family. And I can promise you that this problem also exists in the modern-day church. There are preachers who are compromising big time because they feel the pressure of the culture. Well, I want to tell you, there's a clear distinction in this passage. And so many people try to manipulate this word for world. And I'm telling you that Paul right here makes a clear distinction between the world and the church of Jesus Christ. It's as clear cut as any other place you can find it in the scripture right here. And so churches feel there's no responsibility to correct and guide members and much less amputate them from the body. And Paul uses some strong language right here. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Andy Stanley has said that homosexuals in the homosexual community have more faith than you and I do because we've continually tried to push them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the biggest bunch of hogwash that I've ever heard in my life. I, I will tell homosexuality people who are involved in that, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I don't really care who's transitioning. The Scripture says in Romans 12, 1, we are supposed to be transforming. And it's about time that our young people, see, we've lost our young people because the preachers won't stand in the pulpit and call that what it is. We do love people. We love them enough to tell them the truth. As a matter of fact, Paul says, Paul literally says here, the church is my deal. Paul says, the culture is going to do what the culture does. They're going to act in an ungodly way. And how do we deal with people in the body of Christ? Well, Paul tells us that. We have to be very careful because even the Southern Baptist Convention, let me just get to our folks, have hid sexual immorality uh, for years. And some of this has come out from the news organizations who found out about it because of the Free Document Acts, the Free Information Act. And so they found out that here we would have a guy who would fall morally and then go to another state, start a church, have another youth ministry, have another children's ministry, pastor another church. And what did we do? No discipline, no information to the church to which that person went. And I'm telling you, right now, the chickens are coming home to roost. They're having to deal with that. And why did they cover it up? They covered it up because they didn't, they didn't want to deal with the problems. The leadership didn't want to deal with the problems and the lawsuits of all the sexual immorality. 
We're still dealing with it. You cannot hide that kind of thing, and that's why Paul says you have to deal with it. Spurgeon talks about sin and its destructive nature. Spurgeon says that it is a disease. He says it takes the crown from one's head, the light from one's mind, the joy from one's heart. It is a fountain and a source of all maladies. Sin in the body of Christ, sin in your life, that you're dealing with is also not only a disease, it's a, it's a disorder. It places the lower faculties in the higher place. It, it becomes the master of the body. In other words, we eat to live instead of eating to live. A person gets addictive. We have an addictive nature to us. A sin has an undermining nature to it. The conscience labors under a fatal disease, and it is gradually ruined by a decline. The, the principle of integrity... The resolve of virtue in which a man's true strength really lies is sapped and undermined. Spurgeon says sin is like a secret bleeding that robs the vital organs of their essential spiritual nourishment. We have to deal with problems when they come up. You say, Brother Jerry, do you think we have a problem right now? Why are you preaching this? Well, number one, it's in the Scripture. It's where we were. And then because when something happens, just like in my home church, when there was immorality, there were people who turned against our pastor because he stood for what the Scripture said do. And if we come to that place one day, many of you listening to me right now, if we had to discipline someone, would fight me on it. I can promise you. It'll happen. You know why? Because your heart would hurt because of the situation. But we still have to obey the Word of God. Uh, Spurgeon says there's a numbing nature to iniquity and sin. The deeper a man goes into sin, the less he concedes it is sin. There's an impurity to it. it, it, it sin, it, it, it makes it it's a disease. Holiness just simply can't be tolerated. People can exist in sin, but they can't truly live in sin. The Scripture says you're dead while you liveth. Sin is finally fatal. The reason we're dealing with this today is the Bible says the soul that sinneth, it will die. And the world has taught us simply to allow this to go on. The world has said, oh, don't cause any problems. Don't ruffle any feathers. Let this go. Let it just happen. D don't stir things up. Just ignore it. Don't say anything about it. Look away. And Paul says, warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, don't have anything to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful and he's self-condemned. In Matthew 18, which this could apply to this situation, but this situation in Corinth was so serious that Paul literally skips Matthew 18 and how Jesus taught us to deal with sin. So normally uh, there's a time where I go to a person and say, listen, you're openly doing this. Can you repent of this and help? let pastor help you? Let me talk to you. And then the person doesn't repent. And then I get Brother Sanford, our chairman of deacons, and then we go to him and talk to him. And then that doesn't happen. I bring them in. Let the deacons speak with them. That doesn't happen. And then if that, they still do it, then we bring it before the church. This was a melanoma. Paul said, this sin was so terrible that what I've got to do is take it straight to the body. We've got to cut it out. Now remember, I'm, I'm telling you, church, church. This is the context of the church. Paul says, the people outside, and I'm going to deal with this in just a moment. I'm moving quickly. 
don't forget, I'm, I'm skipping so much and just giving you exactly what you need because I have to finish this message because many of you are dealing with things in your family and you deal with that differently than the church. I'm going to give you a good word today. Y'all okay? And so Paul says, this has to be dealt with. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and who is not living according to the teachings that, you ha- that you've been given. So what I'm preaching is real, it's painful, it's not fun, but sometimes it is very necessary. And here's why it's necessary. Jerry Vine says this, A carnal church or a worldly church would be foolish to try to follow the commands of 1 Corinthians 5. We need to be full of God's spirit and power in order to apply the principles of self-examination and confession in our congregations. Let me tell you, let me give you a great example. This is why our government is so corrupt. Because they can't discipline the members of Congress when they do immoral things. Have you ever wondered, am I the only one that it really makes me angry that people in Congress and places of governmental authority get to do whatever they want to and there's never any consequences. Well, I'm going to tell you why there's never any consequences. Because they're all guilty. You see, in the church of Jesus Christ operates the same way. If we don't deal with open immorality, what we're doing is we're letting everybody else off the hook. As Dr. Vine says, you can't deal with it. Now, point number one. When do we discipline? Notice what Paul says in verse 1 and 2. This becomes a very serious problem. The first Greek word that you'll notice there in in the Holman Christian and NIV, it says sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornea. It means pornography. It refers to fornication. It refers to adultery. And notice that it is reported outside. Everybody knew about it. Notice the, the Greek word is holos. It means the whole of everybody. This was something that was going on in the church that was so egregious, it was widely reported. Everybody knew about it. And so here, if everybody knew about it, why didn't somebody do something about it? Now listen, I I don't want you to to get nervous this morning. Uh, Listen, we all deal with sin, amen? Everybody's dealing with sin because we're on the journey to be with Christ. The difference in this sin is it was just out in the open. It was blatant. They didn't really care. They were just just out there going to town, and, uh, and their sin was public. And you see it today. Somebody say amen. We're not ashamed of what we're doing anymore. And so here is this. It was, it was commonly known. It was widely public. And I'm going to tell you right now, many of you know people right now who claim to be believers that post some of the most egregious, sinful stuff on social media. And you think to yourself, why are they doing that? I'm going to tell you, because they don't care. They could care less about their witness, their witness. And so when Christians, he says, Paul said, this sin was in the church, verse 2. When Christians fall, I want to tell you something. Nobody falls harder than a believer. Sinful people don't have the same temptations that you have because the temptation's not there. They just do what they want to do. Therefore, many times, they don't fall like the Christian. The Christian's greatest enemy is curiosity. We see all these things going on out there, and we want to be involved in it. We just want a quick look. We want a quick taste. We, we want a, and you just get pulled into it, and then the next thing you know, you have an addiction. And that's why Paul is dealing with the, the area of discipline. That is it. The text 
does not use the word for mother, so he uses the word for stepmother, or he uses the word for, he, he says, his, his, the, this person's, his father's wife. I, I have often wondered if this sin actually referred literally to the unthinkable. I mean, after all, Paul did write the chapter on this. What we're talking about, nonetheless, even if it was his mother and not stepmother, it, it makes no difference. It's incest. It was terrible. So this was out in the open and public. Can I ask you a question? Let's just put it in context. What if that was going on in the body of Christ right here? Pastor's got to deal with that. I, we just got to deal with it. And so now, number two. Not only is it public, but it's arrogance. Notice that Paul says you're puffed up. The sin was a badge of pride. We're living there today. Instead of being ashamed, we've dedicated a month to pride. You put that in the context of the Word of God. Folks, you're listening by way of the Internet. You think pastor just hates people. No, you're, you're, you're all wrong. I want to tell you something. There's judgment coming. And let me tell you, our government is promoting sinfulness and an abomination. And, and they're not ashamed. They're not hanging their head because of it. What are they doing? Well, we're just going to pray. We're just going to hallelujah. Uh, we're going to make a whole month full of it. And we're just going to say, hey, hey we ought, ought to be proud of it. No, we shouldn't be proud of it. should be some shame involved. And so he's dealing with that, the arrogance that goes with this. This is a, not a badge of courage. In Psalm 19, 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. You see, that's the difference between you and me and them. I'm not saying that we don't sin. We're not a bunch of goody two-shoes. We deal with the flesh every day. But there, there's sorrow to the sin that we have. You'll remember Saul and David committed some of the same sins. The difference is that King David wrote Psalm 51. And he said, Lord, I, I have sinned greatly against you. There was sorrow, there was pain, and there was suffering. And then there's no repentance. Notice in the text. He says, the couple had no godly sorrow for their sins. It's out in the open. They did not mourn. They did not repent. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. When you and I repent, there's sorrow that leads to growth. That's the difference. So Paul says, Instead of that, they were puffed up instead. They're, they weren't filled with grief. There was no mourning. There was no crying. Paul says that because of this lack of grief and sin, the church was responsible for removing them. The Greek word is exiro. It means to lift up or to take out. Let me sum it up for you. This is called tolerance and inclusion if you don't do that. Woke Wickedness cannot be tolerated in the church of Jesus Christ. Can't do it. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my sins and cleanse me from my spirit. David goes on to talk about having his spirit broken. He says, Lord, change my will and break my spirit. I need to be, we need to be broken at times when we won't repent. The Lord has to come in and take over my life. And David is literally praying for that. He said, Lord, he says, when that happens, then I'll open my lips and I'll begin to praise you and I'll begin to tell sinners how to walk in the way. So that's when we discipline. Well, how do we discipline? Notice in verse 4, Paul talks about the body. He says, when you're assembled together, 
Now, the process of Matthew 18 is really for individual sin, but it could work here as well. But Paul says, man, there's a malignancy in this, in this body, and we've got to go to it. We've got to cut it out immediately. You say, Brother Jerry, has that ever happened here? Absolutely. There was a young lady who was in trouble in her marriage. She wasn't separated or divorced from her husband, and another young man found out about it. And so she's coming to church, sitting here. Well, he begins to snuggle up next to her. I'm like, brother? And I caught him the first Sunday. As soon as I got through preaching, I met him right back out the back there in the back of that sanctuary where I said, pal, that's not going to happen right here. This young lady's still married, and so are you. You both have troubles in your marriage, but you're not going to sit here and snuggle up while I'm sitting here watching you preach. Can I say this? Lost both of them. So be it. We have to hold the standard. So what do we do? Verse 2 says, take away or put out. Verse 5 says, deliver them or hand them over to Satan. Verse 7 says, purge or get rid of it. Verse 13 says, expel or put out. Did y'all get that message? So when somebody comes to me and says this, you told those people they can't come back, Brother Jerry. You're wrong. That's mean. That's ugly. Sorry, you're wrong. There it is in the book. You all right? This is called amputation. This is church discipline. Look in verse number 3. Paul says, Crino, I judge this person. It's a perfect tense verb, which means it's already completed. Paul says, it's as if I've already judged this. It's done. Paul says, I'm not there with you, but I agree with you. Do what you need to do. In 1 Corinthians 5, 3, I have already decided about this man. I've judged this situation. The one who has done these things as though I were present. Paul says, if I were there, I would do this too. Amen? So when the leadership has to do it, What's your job? Stand with my pastor. If it's open, it's out there. And so, listen, when amputation takes place, I want you to listen very carefully to this because it's not a warning from Brother Jerry. I'm telling you it's a warning from Scripture. Listen to me. If there's amputation that takes place, it's the leadership's job to go to them and restore them in time. And sometimes there has to be time. If you go around, if the body goes around behind the leadership and tries to mend things and do them, you will reap what you sow. You will bring the wrath of God and the wrath of the body upon you. That's just the spiritual principle. Because, listen, it's already uncomfortable enough as it is. Amen? Now, verse 4. When assembled in Jesus' name and the power of God is present. Can I just tell you when we meet, the power of God is present? You may not recognize it, but I want to tell you, while we were singing a while ago, the power of God was present. While I'm preaching, the power of God is present. When we came into this place, the prayers that are being offered up, the people that kneel at this altar, the power of God is present. When we meet in the name of Jesus Christ, notice what... I know this just rubs up against your soul, but Paul says, turn them over to Satan. The Greek word is satanus. You say, Brother Jerry, good night. What, what in the world, what kind of... What kind of message is this from God? But you have to also understand what I told you a while ago, the so that. In verse 5a, it's pretty strong language, yes, but Paul means to say, if you want to serve Satan, go to it. If you ever looked at somebody, you just talk to them and talk to them and talk to them and talk to them until you're blue in the face, and they say, mind your own business. I don't care nothing about that Jesus stuff. I'm going to go on and do my own thing. Then what do you do? You say, go do your thing. Uh, 
many parents, now listen, here we go. Many of you parents have had to do this to your children. You just feel like the worst person in the world. You say, I just can't, you know, I've had to cut them off. I've had to send them out. I've had to do these things. It's been so tough. God manifests himself in a lot of different ways in the church. You may have never seen this done, and I pray that you never have to see it done, but sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you have to tell one of you, not your kids, I'm talking about an adult that's in your home, and they won't, you know, and they're doing drugs or whatever, and you just have to tough love them. You have to change the locks on the doors. So you're not bringing the drugs in my house, you're not doing this in my house, and you, you just have to do it. But why do we do that? Verse 5, what does Paul say? So that. So that. Purpose word. What does it say? So that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now go back. Turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the? You see, there's a purpose in that. You know, you know what your pastor's biggest job problem is? You're looking at it. Me. Paul says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. I could really be holy. I'm just telling you, I could be holy if it wasn't for this. But I'm stuck with it. I've been given my, new, my spirit. The spirit of God lives in me when I got saved. But I got a problem. I, I like fried chicken. I like to sleep. I, I mean, you know, can I, can I say something? I grew up a construction worker. I want to cuss so bad I can't stand it. Can, pastor's being honest with you. Somebody tell you, well, why could you talk like that? It feels good. Can I get a Christian to say amen? I mean, you just get angry. Did you know there's a fire burning in here? There's a rebel that lives in my soul. You know how you get rid of that? You kill it. And until you kill it, you will never see the Spirit work. Paul says, so that, I, I, I more, Paul said, mortify the deeds of the flesh so that your spirit can be saved on the day of judgment. You discipline that one, and then they get amputated, and then sooner or later, like the old prodigal son, that old boy come to his senses. And he said, man, these pigs have it better than I do. The servants at the house have it better than I do. I'm an idiot. I'm going home. One mother has told me this. Her son was addicted to meth and how they eventually had to put him out. He wandered the streets for two years. He lived in cornfields eating raw corn, sleeping on the benches at the elementary school. He lost everything he had but the prayers of a loving mother, and she prayed him home. Discipline did that. You live in this house, you're going to live by these rules. Until you live by those rules, stay in the cornfield. Can I ask you a question? Did that break that mother's heart? Yes, it broke her heart. But guess what? Joker got right with God, came home, got off the drugs, went to college, graduated, makes more money than all of us now. <clears throat> For the destruction, the flesh has to be, Paul uses the word destruction. For Listen, for reconciliation to take place, somebody's got to die. And for you to get right with Jesus, somebody, 
You have to die. So that's when, that's how. Now, why? Why do we do discipline? Look in verses 5 through 8 for restoration. And Paul uses this great example. He says, he says your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast permeates the whole church? You get that? See, you put a little yeast in there, it goes through the whole batch of dough. Some open sin, rebellious sin in the church works its way all through it. And Paul says we have to deal with that. The folks in Corinth, uh, they, they, they got to do this. But I like this. I like to go, some of you, you might need a little break right now. If you went to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, If anyone has grief, he's, ha- he's not so much been grieved as much as I have, all of you to some extent, but to put it more severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him. You know what I think happened? I don't think they had to amputate. I think they amputated him, and I think, he, I think they repented. Did you see what I'm saying? So that it's for, so why discipline? We discipline for restoration. Uh, number two, for our witness. Sin affects the whole body. The warning Paul uses is from Exodus. He says, listen, our witness is being damaged. You have taken this little bitty batch of sin and it's permeated the entire body. The thought is that one person in the body that openly sins is a bad example and a poor witness. That sin works through the entire body. This passage speaks of holiness in the New Testament and in the New Testament Christian. We're to live by purity and holiness. Our witness in the world is very, very important. Here we have a great example of the old life and the new life and being amputated and the new life being nourished. If you've been born again, you are now what is called unleavened. And so Paul says, I'm not talking about the feast. I'm talking about the yeast. And because you are born again now, you are unleavened. You took the yeast out. And so we have some Messianic Jews right here in our, in our congregation. And when Passover comes around, they go through the ritual. And it means so much more to them now because they understand it spiritually more so than the Orthodox Jew who it was supposed to teach them about forgiveness in Jesus. And they get all the yeast out of the house. And they go through and she cleans the house and cleans the kitchen. And it's a beautiful picture of the New Testament. And, the Lord, and Paul is saying, he's using this as an example. He's saying, because of the witness that we have in this world, the body of Christ has to be holy. Now, there's a little story. It's a little crude, but y'all gonna hang in there with me, right? So kids came, and they said, Daddy, we want to go see this movie. And he said, let me, let me look, let me check. And he comes back, and he says, no, that, that movie's got, some, it's got a few curse words in it, and I don't want you to watch that. The kid said, it's just one or two words. It's okay. It's just a little bit. That's just odd to y'all right now, isn't it? So then he says, I'll think about it. So the next morning, the kids got up for breakfast. There's a big plate of brownies on the table. And the dad said, we're having brownies for breakfast. Whoo! Hallelujah. He said, but dad said, but there's just one catch. There's a little poop in it. <clears throat> All right. 
Anybody want a brownie? It's just a little. Y'all all right? So Paul says, ekletharte. We get our word catharsis. Paul says you clean it up, you get it out. So when do we discipline? How do we discipline? Why do we discipline? And who do we discipline? Now hang on. I hope to just free you up right here. I wrote to you in a previous letter, Paul says, don't mix it up with a brother who's living like this. And notice the sins that Paul lists. I mean, these are pretty bad for a believer. Sexual immorality, he's greedy, idolater, verbally abusive, drunkard, swindler, etc. And so then Paul says, now the world, I don't have anything to do with the world. It's not my business. So now you're thinking to yourself, Paul is saying to us, you can talk to people in the world. See, here's the difference. People out in the world, they don't know any better. And so you have to reach them. You have to talk to them. But he says here very clearly, the Greek text says, don't pal around with them. Don't buddy up with them. Don't go bar hopping with them and say, oh, I'm going to karaoke and we're going to just have a few beers. i got to reach my buddy. No, that's not how you reach your buddy. Okay? You just tell him about Jesus. Amen? you got to protect your witness in the process. Those who have been disciplined due to arrogance, unrepentant sin, you leave them alone. You see, the discipline has to work. Now, again, what's the context? The church. Now, Paul makes it clear that the only way that you can reach a lost person or an immoral person is to talk to them. You have to reach them. Now, the culture sees the church as a place that just overlooks sin. We can't let them see us that way. Many of you don't know what the church is for. And most lost people don't know what the church is for. They think we're a glorified soup kitchen that pays everybody's bills. Our job is to, is to display, Ephesians 3.10, the manifold wisdom of God. And we discipline our own. Amen? We do talk to the people outside. We don't pal around with them. But if I meet you until I know better, you're lost, and I'm going to share Jesus with you. You okay? I'm going to get my licks in. You all right? You think, I, you think this doesn't happen? i got a sign on my front porch that says, pray about it. You know how many conversations I had? God delivered my pizza the other night. He said, man, thanks for that sign. I needed that. I'm having some troubles. Ha! The Lord sent the man to my front door. What are you going to do? Well, God bless you, brother. <laughs> I won't talk to that joker, man. He got problems. No. Well, dude, let me talk to you about that. And then guess what? We had prayer time on my front porch. And then I gave him a $10 tip. You hear me? Cheap Christian gave me $2 and prayed for me. No. Now. Verse 10 teaches us several great truths. We live in a world where the sinners are. <clears throat> we talk to them. Can I ask you a question in verse 10? Can you see the difference in the world and us? So don't try to misinterpret that word, Josh. They do that. How can this mean anything other than the world? When you read that, you know what the world is. You know the difference between Paul talking about the world and the church. We know that. This is, a clear, this is as clear as it's going to get. Don't, this word, this Greek word has 13 words in it. Sunana migunami. Don't pal around with them. 
Don't hang out with them. And Paul says, don't be buddies with them. Now, this is important because many of you have family that you, you just can't write off as useless or unredeemed, and nor should I. I personally think that the context of this passage, Paul is speaking about the church body, not your family. If you treat your family like we have to treat people in, this, in the body of Christ here of our witness, we have to cut the melanoma out. You'll lose your family members. Some of you have worried, what do I do about my son? What do I do about my daughter? What do I do about my friends or my family, my uncle, my cousin, who's walking in open immorality? Paul gives us an example as he talks about marriage. There's a, there's a great example in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul says, he says, if, if you're married to an unbeliever, don't change the situation. He said, you're the best hope for that person who's your family member now to reach them for Jesus Christ. If they want to go, let them go. But if they don't, try to reach them. Can I say love covers a multitude of sins? If you have a young person in your life, if you have a child that's not walking with Jesus, you don't amputate them from the body. You try your best to reach them. They're your family. People are not going to think any worse of you if you're hanging around with your son or your daughter who doesn't live for Christ. They're yours. Yeah? Clearly, the context of the amputation is the church. Some of you have worried about that. Listen, many gay couples today claim to be in a right relationship with Christ. They're not. Listen, Many gay people I know are Christians who've fallen into sin. And some of you tell me that can't be. Can I ask you this? Can a, can a Christian get addicted to gambling? Let me hear you. Can a Christian get addicted to alcohol? Can a Christian get addicted to an iPhone? But, whoa. Oh, you're hitting below the belt, Brother Jerry. You know what? The, the person who knows Jesus who's fallen in to sin needs a Christian to guide them out of that iniquity. It's their job to reach them. We don't make excuses for their sin. And some of you know good and well what I preach from this pulpit. We don't make excuses for sin. I don't make excuses for my sin. But we get into addictions and somebody's got to reach them. If you've got a wayward child, you just reach them as hard as you can. Now, there will come a time where they'll say, I don't want what you got. Amputation may be necessary. Right? Then you cut them off. Hope is always there. If there's life, there's hope. Junior, Junior Hill tells a story about his brother. He said, my brother was mean as a snake. I witnessed to him a thousand times. Floyd's heard the story. He said, and I go by his house and talk to him. He wouldn't even let me in the house. He says, as a matter of fact, the last night I went to talk to him, I sat in my truck and prayed and said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I just can't do it anymore. I've got to, I'm hurt so long about this. My brother's not saved. I'm going to go by there one more time, and this is it. He said, I went to the door, knocked on the door, and the door opened. He said, there's a pistol pointing right in my face. <laughs> want to get saved? No, it's, it's, it's like, he said, what do you want? I could have shot you coming to my door this late at night. Junior said, listen, I love you with all my heart. 
I care about you. You're my family. I've witnessed to you a hundred times. And I'm telling you that Jesus sent me by here tonight to share with you. If you don't receive Christ tonight, I'm not coming back anymore. Come on in. Junior's brother prayed to receive Christ tonight. Listen, it may not happen in your case. Your family may say, don't want anything to do with you. Don't talk to me anymore. But for crying out loud, keep the, keep the light burning. Love covers a multitude of sins. Do you all know that? You're not covering their sins. Love covers your sins. And you have to realize where you were when you were lost and how badly they need you. Now, when it comes to the house of God, we have to do things differently. I'm not going to go into detail, but can I say this to you? I had a family member who was a homosexual. Went to counseling with him. You all right? Pulled him along, helped him, encouraged him, and the whole time saying, this lifestyle is not for you. This lifestyle is sin. This lifestyle is destroying you. Guess what? Over 15, 20 years' time in the drawing of the Holy Spirit, he walked away from it. It's not going to happen if we don't try. Amen? See, Paul says, verse 12, the unbelievers are going to do their own thing. Not my business. See, my, see, this ought to tell you that your pastor has the authority to speak into your life. See, because Paul says, what they do out there, I can't control. But you're my business. And Paul says, amputate this man. And thank the Lord. He says, put away the evil person from among yourselves. I pray we never have to do that. We have had to do that. And I was called a mean old joker and all of that kind of stuff. When do you amputate? When the person's puffed up, it's open, it's public, no repentance, no grief or sorrow, and openly sinning. Listen to this passage, and I'm done. <clears throat> if, if, if those things are not present, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Why don't you all just turn there with me? I got a minute. <laughs> So just so you'll know that I'm not just telling you what I think. This is the scripture. Okay? Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brethren, who are the brethren? This is us. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Listen, I, we got to call sin, sin, and we're going to call sin, sin right here, but we're going to we're gonna try to rescue them from the fire. Amen. And there's some sins out there today that are so disgusting, they make me nauseous. There are some people that I share with that 
I mean, I got to honestly tell you why I'm sharing with them. I'm thinking, you disgust me. The way you look disgusts me. The way you smell disgusts me. What you're doing disgusts me. What you believe in disgusts me. And, and I just really have to think at some point in time, and I, the love of God's got to break through that somewhere. Does anybody here knew me before I got saved? Wow, nobody here. I could bring up some folks and let them talk to you. And they'd tell you how vile and irritating and filthy that I was. Skirt chasing, party boy, living for the next five minutes, that's it. <clears throat> Take no responsibility for my actions or anybody else's. Curse like a sailor. You say, Pastor, I can't see that in you. Of course you can. Because Jesus made the difference. Jesus turned me around, turned me inside out, and won't let me go. And 40 years of it, I'm still trying to bring holiness and purity to my life. I got the outside vices off. The outside vices are gone. I'm talking about the renewing of your mind. Amen? If you want to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I promise you, he will lift you from the lowest pit. And he will bring holiness. Seen prostitutes kneel on the corner. They knelt as whores and stood up as saints of Jesus Christ. Amen. Folks, that's the business we're in. And we're losing the battle. Stand our ground. Preach the truth in love. If you're here today and you've never given Jesus your, your heart, please come say, Pastor, I just want to give my heart to Jesus. I'll take it from there, okay? I'll help you. If you're at home, <clears throat> drop to your knees, bow your head, say, Dear Lord Jesus, bring holiness and righteousness to my life. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Make me a new person. And Lord, hold me till you, till you come get me and I'll follow you the rest of my life. That's salvation. Those of you who are dealing with difficult, difficult situations, know that my heart today was to help you have the tools to deal with those things. I pray for you. I pray for your children. I pray for your family. And I pray that we can reach them with the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. Let's stand to our feet. Father.